We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Tuesday, November the 24th, 2020. On today's show, former Gamecocks football player Alex McGrath joins me as he does each and every single Tuesday. And boy, oh boy, do we have a lot to talk about. We break down South Carolina's 17-10 loss to Missouri Tigers, but more importantly, the Luke Doty era officially begins at South Carolina. Also, takeaways from that game. We'll talk on the coaching search as well, the shitstorm that hit social media late last week with Javon Kinlaw, and really his thoughts as the Gamecocks fan base and former players and everyone tries to come together to sing Kumbaya. Also, finally, we will take a look at this weekend's game against the Georgia Bulldogs, his memories, thoughts from playing against Georgia, all that and more on a packed edition of the Spurs Up Show, guys. And it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention other companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining cr- trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. By the way, guys, they're not a trucking company. They are a moving services company. They're employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, so everyone on the crew is just invested in the success of the project as you are. They have dedicated professional crew members and they offer black glove service, which means they offer end-to-end packing services, custom creating and patching, packaging for special items, and cleaning services as well. Guys, they're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni, guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business, and they offer 20 years of project management moving experience and can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies, guys, simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether you're in the upstate, the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs, be sure to check out my friends at upstatemoversgroup.com. That is upstatemoversgroup.com. You can also follow them on Upstate Movers Group on social media. Guys, we all know, I know I hate moving, the moving process. You lose stuff, you break stuff, you flat out just don't want to do it. Let the guys over at Upstate Movers Group take care of it for you. And of course, guys, like I said, a Gamecock-owned small business. Gamecocks helping Gamecocks here on the Spurs Up show. You know we're all about it. So again, if you're in the state of South Carolina, especially in the upstate, you have any moving needs, be sure to contact my friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. And of course, their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That is upstatemoversgroup.com. The show is also brought to you by our friends over at Southern Oaks Remodeling. Guys, Southern Oaks Remodeling, locally and family-owned, over 15 years of experience. They specialize in roofing, windows, doors, siding, and additions, and they're serving the greater Columbia area. Guys, it's the perfect time to do so, right? For that remodeling project you've been putting off, whatever it is, 
We're in the holiday season. Why not knock it out now? The people are what make Southern Oaks Remodeling. That's what makes the difference with these guys. Love the people. They're also a Gamecock owned small business. You can check them out on social media. They're on Instagram. They're on Facebook. Of course, their website. Or give them a call, 803-899-0284. That's 803-899-0284. Guys, like I said, again, a Gamecock owned small business. They can do a little bit of anything and everything. Roofing, windows, doors, siding additions. You know they know what they're doing. Over 15 years of experience, guys. And again, People are what make the difference. You don't spend money on a business. You spend money on people. And people are what make the difference with Southern Oaks Remodeling. Again, they're on social media, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere else, website, and their phone number. Give them a call, 803-899-0284. That's 803-899-0284. The show is also brought to you by our friends over at Yardware. Guys, Yardware, a veteran-owned and operating company licensed by the University of South Carolina, and they're selling must-have Carolina Yard and wall signs. Guys, these signs are made out of 12-gauge laser-cut steel, and they come in both garnet and black. Football season's in full swing. Christmas right around the corner. Guys, if you did not see also, we are doing a giveaway with Yardware signs. We are giving away a free sign. One lucky Gamecock fan is going to get a sign. It's on Instagram and Facebook. Go check it out there. Rules on how to be eligible are there. We're going to pick a winner on Friday at 5 o'clock, guys. Again, these things are awesome. A must-have for any Gamecock fan. The detail, the quality, is impeccable. I mean, it just stands out from the rest, guys. You got to have one of these if you're a South Carolina fan. Again, and you can put it anywhere your yard, your studio, your office, man cave, garage, living room, dining room. This is a great piece to go anywhere in your home or your yard as well. You can order yours today at yardwaresigns.com. They're also on social media at yardwaresigns, but that's yardwaresigns.com. Again, yardwaresigns.com to order your sign today. Finally, the show is brought to you by our friends over at my. Bookie, guys, my bookie between the NFL, college football, all the other sports. There's no shortage of games to watch, and with thousands of lines available on all your favorite sports and events, you can turn your game day into payday with my bookie. Guys, if you're the type of person who likes to back the big favorites, consider putting a couple in a parlay for a much bigger payout. Not only do parlays make meaningless games exciting, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real moneymaker. And guys, of course, don't forget the underdogs, right? They have a ton of value. The thing about college football, the NFL, sports in general, the underdogs really never are dogs. You know, every team truly has a chance to win, and you do as well. Game spreads, championship futures, and player prop bets. It's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your wallet. Guys, you can sign up today at mybookie.ag, and when you do, use the promo code GAMECOCKS to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. Guys, it's a win-win scenario. It's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. Guys, again, that's promo code GAMECOCKS for you to claim your bonus when you make your deposit. Stack UFC cards, college football, NFL, all the major sports and more. Sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively at MyBookie. Let's get it. Tuesday, former Gamecocks football player Alex McGrath. Alex, 
We've got a lot to talk about from the game, social media madness, the coaching search rages on, obviously, as we're talking here on a Tuesday. But, Alex, I really appreciate you taking the time, man. How was your weekend? It was a beautiful weekend in the state, obviously, and uh, obviously the game didn't turn out the way we wanted. But, sir, how was your weekend overall? It was a good weekend. It was a good weekend. I had a little wedding this weekend, hung out with kids all weekend, did some yard work, just typical, typical dad weekend stuff. Nothing, nothing too terribly exciting. I certainly didn't get, you know, 50 yard line seats at the game. Living like the, did. living but, the, you know, Mr. that's just, those are, yeah. those are the shakes, man. It's, it's tough. I honestly, somebody has to do it. Living the Mr. Mom life though. I, I, I admire it, sir. <laughs> yeah. Good, good on you. Good that's, on you. You got to do sure. it every once in a while. Well, Alex, I'm going to start this show a little differently because, again, South Carolina loses to Missouri 17-10. to 10. Um, And, again, I was at the game. But my opening comment to you, Alex, is this. Boy, oh, boy, isn't it funny how changing a coach and changing a quarterback can change the entire attitude and outlook of a fan base? Uh, yeah, that was, that was a different look we had there in the second half. One of inspired hope and confidence, it seemed like. Uh, Unlike what we saw on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Which, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I want to ask you about the play of Luke Doty because I compared it on my show again. You talked about um, – we talked about a few weeks ago. You talked about Steven Garcia, though, and, and kind of the energy that injected into the team, you know, when you were there, when Garcia was a young guy, and, you know, you kind of felt like he was the next dude. But, of course, you had Chris Smelly, you had Blake Mitchell. But you always felt like when you inserted Steven in the lineup, there was just this, this new sense of energy. The, it was infectious to the entire team. And again, you know, humble brag, as close as I was, you like, you could see body language. You, you could see how guys were reacting. And that was a different thing for me. I thought it was really, really cool to like be that up close and personal and see that. And, you know, no disrespect to Colin Hill, whatever. He, he's done the most he can do with the abilities he, abilities he has and what he has to work with on offense. But you could see in that first half, again, 68 yards of offense, Alex. 68 yards of offense. I saw guys on the defensive, on the sideline on defense kind of shrugging their shoulders, rolling their eyes, dejected a little bit. I totally understood. Listen, for me, watching the game as a fan, it was boring. You know, all week people said, oh, the season's a wash, the season's a wash. It felt that way. That's how you felt. Like, man, that's kind of how these two teams are both playing. Sloppy game on both sides. But – injecting Luke Doty in the lineup in the second half. I sat up in my chair. I sat on the edge of my seat. I thought you saw this entire football team really come to life. Again, your defense pitches a second half shutout. You don't win the football game, but that was the best your offense looked all game. Again, I I feel like it's really simple um, to talk about the impact Luke Doty had because I think you have to be blind to not see it. But just talk about what you saw from Luke Doty, the type of impact he has. Again, there were at least three or four plays, Alex. I know you would count as well that the play was dead. With Colin Hill, it's 110% a sack, and Doty's able to evade a guy, make a guy miss, scramble for eight yards, scramble for 10 yards, scramble for 15 yards. That is the difference, and I think that's what everybody's been talking about as far as the upside that the true freshman brings to this offense and this team. A hundred percent. Two, I think it adds, I mean, so you have that added element to where he's a threat to run with the ball. So you have to account for that at some point on defense. So that pulls an extra defender out of the secondary that's got to stay with him or an extra linebacker that's got to stay with him. And, you know, two, it, you know, on those scramble plays, that's a lot of the times where you get receivers open for big plays. And, and this may have just been bias on my part watching it but it just seemed like I mean I don't we didn't have any drops in the second half did we not that I can really recall no not not that like stand out not that stand out no 
Well, I, I say that I think Adkins dropped one, but it, you know, now that you know, again, it just adds an extra element that Colin Hill can't bring to the table. Mm. And yeah. I think that's huge for us, especially, you know, if we're going to have to play without Chai Smith next week. Mm. Yeah, which you probably will. Because, because you don't have that dependable number one. Yeah, he's in concussion protocol. So I, I'd highly doubt Shy uh, will be available this weekend or probably maybe even the rest of the season. Because, I mean, that's a guy, he's already accepted his invite to the Senior Bowl. He's trying to get drafted or get signed or whatever. And I, I'd probably imagine at this point, like unless he's just 110% recovered, I, I probably would assume – He's going to protect himself, which, again, he's given you all he's got this year. Can you really fault the guy? But uh, And I will say, Alex, being that close to the field, yet again, humble brag, he took a shot. I mean, that walking yeah. off the field looked like he didn't know where he was. So mm. we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, the concussion protocol, you know, we'll see if he can come out of it. But uh, I, I want to ask you this. And, again, I, I hate to – I love to and hate to draw these comparisons because I, I don't want to put this much on the kid. But – I have to ask, how much does Luke Doty remind you of a young Connor Shaw? Like, like I just feel like they're like the same. They, the skill set is very, very similar. You can't deny that. It is. It is. No, I mean, it's, it's the exact same kind of skill set where you're, you know, you're a good enough passer to be dangerous and the scrambling ability and being able to throw on the run like he can just adds an extra element to anything that you're doing on offense. And it just puts the defense in tougher spots where, you know, that's just not going to happen if you've got Colin in there. And you, for example, you know, if you, t- you take Shai Smith out of the game, you're able to blanket our other receivers. He's got to stand there. He's got to dump it to a running back or he's going to get sacked or he's got to throw it in completion. You put somebody like a Doty or Shaw in there. And now all of a sudden pressure comes in. They can roll out, and now you're asking that secondary to cover those receivers for an extra two, three, four mm-hmm. seconds, and that's where you can get those big pops in mm-hmm. the passing game when you have a busted play, and we don't have a quarterback on the roster that can do that other than Doty and Dak Joyner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, so, thought, you know, I thought you saw him throw out of a lot of a, sa- a lot of sacks too, like throwing on the run for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like that danger without, you know, having, you know, two go-to receivers is a huge help to the offense. And two, you know, going forward, assuming he's going to be the starter, you know, that's going to, that's going to be a big help to Kevin Harris too, because you start running some of these zone read plays and now they got to count for two guys and not just one. And so it just, you know, like we've talked about since week one on what we want to see and revolutions in the, play calling like this adds all those elements to it where you're not going to get stymied nearly as much and that it worked fine you know for the first couple of weeks of the year and then you kind of hit a roadblock where you weren't able to you know feature anybody but shy and now you know shy's out of the game now you've got to figure out a way okay well how do i scheme this up the best i can and, and luke's going to give us the best opportunity to do that for sure. And, and you talk about, you know, I, I agree with you. I think no other quarterback. And it'd be interesting to see, you know, because, again, we're talking uh, on a Monday. So the Tuesday, this show comes out Tuesday. That presser is going to be happening at 1230. I mean, Alex, if, if Mike Bobo trots Colin Hill back out there as a starter, this fan base is going to revolt. I, I mean, am, am I wrong? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just, no, no, you're not Which they wrong. should, which they should, right? I think we all agree no other quarterback or other than number four should be taking the snaps 
I just hate his first career start might come against the Georgia Bulldogs. That, that, oh, hey, welcome to the SEC, did, well, though. Welcome to the SEC. Well, you signed I mean, up for it, right? Sure. But I, you know who doesn't hate that is Luke Doty. Yeah, right, right, right. This is the stuff you dream about when you're playing high school football or you're playing tag football in the backyard with your friends. It's getting to go out there and start a game like this. So, yeah, I mean, he's going to have butterflies because everybody does. But I, I assure you, he is not going to shrink from that moment because right. it's something he's been dreaming about his whole life. How much, Alex, I'm going to put you in the shoes of the next head coach for South Carolina. And, and we all know at this point, you know, from everything we've heard, it's going to be <clears throat> it's going to be an offensive head coach, right? I expect South Carolina to go to the spread, go to a more up-tempo, a more modern offense. And the ironic thing, Alex, about Saturday night and the way it went down, walking to the stadium, I was telling the people I was with, you know, I really feel like this is setting up for Luke Doty to be the guy going into next season because I fully expect it's going to be that style of offense. I know you'd agree with that. I mean, it's going to fit a guy like Luke Doty so perfectly, and I think the next head coach is going to be competent enough to where he's not going to move a fast quarterback to wide receiver just because he's fast. So <laughs> I, think, I think they're going to look at that. There won't be as much roster mismanagement. But, uh, you know, the way it went down, I'll put you in the – shoes of the new head coach or even the new offensive coordinator how much would you be salivating at the opportunity to work with a guy like Luke Doty man that's just got to be a dream that's a real selling point I think for the next head coach like bro we we've got a guy that's gonna fit the exact scheme you're running yeah yeah 100 percent. it's got to be because it gives you more than anything else it kind of gives you an idea of what's sitting there so, you know, when you're having these conversations and trying to think, like, how do we want to attack this from a recruiting standpoint? What do we want to do from an offensive setup standpoint? Like, you know what's sitting there because you've seen the tape on it. And, you know, if you leave them on the sidelines, then it's kind of up in the air. On, okay, well, what is this really going to look like? Mm-hmm. And now you actually have film to go back and review and look at and figure out, yeah, this is what he does well. This is what we need to work on. I can build something to this. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, it, which again, and I know we've talked about this ad nauseum. I just sincerely hope that's what walks in the door is somebody right. that's like, "Hey, I'm going to build around the this talent, kind of not set. not try to just instill my system, no matter who those on the roster." Correct. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree, and I think that's what we will see. I, I do think that's what we will see. Um, so, Alex, on, on my show that dropped Monday, you know, obviously everything has happened with coaching changes, opt outs, and. I wasn't letting the pettiness flow through me, but since I'm talking to you, I mean, I, I figured we might, we might as well, we might let as well let out. this come let's, out. Let's but uh, no, just the irony of you fire your defensive-minded head coach, arguably, and I would say your top two defensive backs opt out, and your defense looks the best it's looked in over a month. Explain. <laughs> Oh, oh boy. Um, <laughs> Do you have, is there an explanation? Is it, is it just, is it just coincidence? Or I mean, it, it's almost hard to fathom, right? Like it's hard to believe that that happened. It, it is and it isn't. I mean, it's, I, I was, I texted you semi in jest uh, earlier, just, you know, cause we, cause you know, we've heard for what week are we in eight, eight weeks that Colin Hill gives us the best chance to win. Well, we saw on the field Saturday that that may not have been the case. Hey, and even so, and even Mike Bobo echoed that, and I think it was the Tuesday presser last week when he said, hey, I've been doing this a long time. I've been coaching quarterbacks. I know what I'm doing. He's echoed many times, we're playing the best player. And yeah. 
what do you know? <laughs> yeah. What do you know? You get 68 yards of offense out right, of him. And right. then you're like, you know what? We got to do something different because uh, maybe he's not. And so, you know, half jokingly, I texted you like, well, they've been saying Collins is the best quarterback we have on the team. Like, what if JC and Israel weren't the best two cornerbacks? I on mean, the team? you joke, but I mean, I- it's just insane. It's crazy. And I, I know Mizzou wasn't some offensive juggernaut. You know, they're not Ole Miss, but it's still just wild when you look at it and you're like, South Carolina is doing what they're doing right now without those guys. I mean, it just it was crazy. Well, and two, yeah. I mean, if you look at it, like in the number of pressures and blitz packages we brought, mm-hmm. like. I thought T Rob called we didn't a great do game. One of those. I thought T Rob called but a great game. We didn't do game. one of those against LSU. You know what I mean? And it's like, so, you know, it goes back to, and I told you this too, you know, like going through the whole um, Brian McClendon phase where, you know, you had this like Jekyll and Hyde kind of pop up where you'd be throwing the ball over the field. And then all of a sudden we'd sit on it for two quarters. The other team would come back. You know, I don't know how many times we had to watch that unfold, mm-hmm. but it's just like the first game that, you know, Muschamp was not involved in. We're blitzing from all over the place. We're getting quarterback pressures, yada, yada, yada. And then, you know, we get a quarterback change. Yeah. So, I, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, I've always, you know, my, my take was always that he was monkeying more in the offense than he would ever come on to. Right. But it, it, is it possible that was going on on the defensive side as well? I don't – I mean, maybe. I, I thought – again, I thought T-Rob did a really good job. He turned the guys loose, I thought. and I mean, again, it is it is baffling. It's it's crazy. It, it's crazy. And, again, I, I didn't spend my entire show – Monday, you know, taking shots, saying, oh, look, this happened because of this. This happened because of this. Because, I mean, you could certainly do that, right? You could you could certainly do yeah. that. But I took the high road. We took the high road. It's fine. <laughs> but, but, no, I mean, it's just crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> it's truly baffling, and kudos to those guys. I do want to ask you about this, Alex, because I, I think the frustration for a lot of Gamecock fans, and especially for a lot of Gamecock alumni, and the thing they didn't want to see was I, I thought you saw, especially of that three game stretch, 159 points given up was a team that when they got down, I'm hesitant to say they quit, but there was certainly a mood change. And there was certainly when the team got down, it, it didn't, it was seemed like they just weren't able to come back from that. And I've seen a lot of former Gamecock players speaking on, you know, again, there's no moral victories. You lost to Mizzou at home and it sucks, but being proud of the fight that this team showed because that was something I questioned very much so was the culture, especially with everything that happened on social media and all, all the messaging that was coming out there. And I really truly questioned what the culture was like behind closed doors. I questioned whether this team would even show up to play. I questioned whether they, whether they would fight scratch and claw for the name on the front of the Jersey, not on the back. And especially after being down 17 to nothing, going into halftime, you're thinking, oh, my God, this thing could just completely get out of hand. Your defense pitches a shutout in the second half. Again, you inject Luke Doty in, and good things happen for you offensively. But you got the ball with a chance to tie the football game. And after the way the game started, especially in the way things have gone this season, again, I know for you probably as a former player, seeing those guys in the midst of all this turmoil go out there, and at least if nothing else – fight for the University of South Carolina. Just talk about that. I'm sure that's something that had to make you, uh, at least if nothing else, make you proud to watch Saturday night. It did. I mean, it just to look, I'm, I'm not going to pretend to put myself in, in their shoes. You know, that's not something I've never been through a coaching change like that. You know, somebody that brought me in all of a sudden is gone the next day. And I'm sure, you know, I, they're, they're, 
18, 19, 20 years old. Mm. I mean, that's, that's a big change for, you know, anybody, especially kind of given the fishbowl that you live in, in that environment. And it's like, you know, you, 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 over time, you just learn not to just lash out at everything that comes at you. And, you know, that's, that's unfortunately, I think a, a lesson that a lot of people have to have to learn the hard way, you know, it kind of, it kind of just touching on the Twitter responses and, you know, people firing back. I mean, it's just like, you know, at, at some point you got to be on, on the fan side, you know, you got to just look at yourself and be like, I'm 40 years old. Why am I tweeting at this 19 year old on Twitter, like insulting him. And on the same time, at the same time, you know, you, as you know, an NFL prospect and all this other stuff, you, you, you've got to just look at it from the standpoint and is me responding to any of this or putting that opinion out forever for everybody to see worth it for me in the long run. And it's not. And so, you know, I know we've talked about, you know, there probably should be a social media ban. I hundred percent agree with that. I'm not saying like you can't get, on it and look at it, but you don't need to be out there responding to everything just because that's yeah. going to do nothing but fuel a fire somewhere. And I think right. that's just a lesson that, you know, everybody's going to have to eventually learn, but the kids mm -hmm. that, you know, I thought, I thought what uh, Hutchison said yeah. after the game was incredibly awesome. powerful just to, you know, because that he, he, he sees it as look, I made this commitment. I'm going to see it through. I'm a leader on this team and I need to be here for these guys to shape what comes next. Mm. And I think even the conversations that you've had with, you know, Vic Hampton or DJ Swearinger, all those guys, that's the biggest, you know, takeaway from everything that they said was that there were leaders on that team that were going to help shape what this program should be <laughs> and what yeah. it can be. And I think having guys in the locker room like Hutchison and like everybody that laid it all out on the field, Saturday night is a, is a gigantic step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for and sure. Yeah, I, it, it, I, may, it makes you proud to watch it because yeah. you want that legacy to live on beyond you. Yeah. You want to be proud of your school. I mean, I, I speak, you know, obviously I'm speaking for you and I mean, all the former players, you want to be proud of your school. Um, and again, Hutchinson comments, th th those comments he made were awesome. I, I thought they were just truly, yeah, it, it was awesome. It was great to see. Um, you're, you're speaking on social media, so obviously, Alex, I know we talked a little off here. I got to ask you about everything. I mean, the, the the shit hit the fan on Friday. I mean, it really did. It I'm, did. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting ready to go live on it my uh, – I'm ready, getting ready to go live on my daily live stream or whatever, um, and I start going at 12, click go live, whatever. Ken Law sends this tweet at 12.01 is when that happens, and I was at a loss for words. I, I had no idea um, what to say, think about it, whatever. And things have evolved since then. You know, guys have apologized. Some guys have. Ken Law has not. Two-part question, because I want to put a positive spin on it. I want to ask you, what were your thoughts on what Javon Ken Law said? But the second thing, because what his statement was, our Gamecock fans are the worst. Give me your interactions with South Carolina fans. What do you remember most? You know, again, you were a Gamecock football player. What do you, you remember most about Gamecock football fans? What was your experience like? so I think, I think the best, I think the best story I could tell, um, was we had an, and I think I told the story, uh, on the podcast before, um, but we had a open scrimmage and fall practice of 2006 mm -hmm. 
And we uh, offense scored a touchdown like early, early in the scrimmage. And so there's probably, I, I, I could never gauge like how many people are actually there, but let's say there's 2000 people mm. sitting on the home side, just watching us scrimmage. And like right after the touchdown happens, all of a sudden a trumpet starts playing the fight song. And this fan had brought a trumpet into the stadium with him. And he played it every time there was a touchdown, just played the fight song. And I remember I was standing next to Mo Brown uh, when he did it. And he just looked at me and smiled. He's like, man, we've got the best fans in the entire world. And I, I think that like, if you look at to get 80,000 people into that stadium every single weekend during the fall to have the kind of record that the university has over the last 130 years, I think is a testament to what kind of fan base we actually have. And, and, and look, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a very tough five-year stretch or really six-year stretch here, you know, ever since the, you know, last 11 and two season where you've kind of had, you know, it fell off and then it fell off worse. Mm -hmm. We, you know, the most popular coach, that we've ever had the most successful coach we've ever had abruptly departs and kind of leaves us in a tough spot. And, you know, we've got this vacancy, we've got, you know, several pretty high caliber candidates lined up to take this job. And then all of a sudden, you know, will must chance the guy. And I think it would be reasonable to say that most people had a lot of trepidation in that just given what had happened at Florida. And so you've got that factored in, you know, you, have a little bit of success at the front end and then that falls off a cliff and it just created this kind of I don't want to say toxic atmosphere because people are still showing up people still love the team but it it creates this divisiveness within it that you know you have to remedy somehow and you know you don't want anybody to ever you know lose their job or you know be cast out as you know some untouchable somewhere but at the same time, like you've got to turn that around. And, you know, I, and again, kind of going back to what I said a minute ago, like being on social media and constantly reading those comments and firing stuff back at people doesn't help that situation at all. And it's really on both sides of that ledger that really need to kind of mm. come to grips with that and understand that the people that are playing this game that you love are kids. And they and you know what the kids do and say dumb things. I know I have said all kinds of dumb things when I was their age, and probably still do today. Mm -hmm. And you know, to just you know, we've got to we've got to have some sort of accountability on both sides of that ledger. To you know, okay, it was said, it sucks, we didn't like it, but we got to move on. And you know, if that's if they want to move on and have that opinion forever i mean that's sad to me that you know you really feel like that but you know the eggs on twitter don't speak for the entire fan base and that's what i would say about it yeah that's well said very well said alex mcgrath um yeah <laughs> I, I know i'm seriously I, it was extremely well said not i'm not sure you maybe saw the video on twitter as well where the fan base and i was there the fans a lot of them booed when they showed the not people. a good look and, and i and i look. said we, yeah and i agree with you and i said on social media too I'm disappointed that they did that. I understand why they did it because they're pissed. Because hey, when I saw Ken Law's tweet, I was pissed. I mean, no, they know what I was pissed. But both sides, I agree, come together, sing kumbaya, 
Javon Kinlaw didn't mean what he said. He didn't. If he no, sits he was, down, he, probably, he thinks critically, he was tweeting emotionally, and that is the double-edged sword that is social media, and that is, you know, again, there's positives and there's negatives, negatives to social media. That's one of the negatives is people get on there, they tweet through their feelings, as they call it, and they say stuff they really probably don't 100% mean. And because, again, it's like, dude, the University of South Carolina gave you a platform to get to where you are now. It wasn't all yeah. bad. You can't pretend like it was. But, again, like you said, the eggs, and I've told people, and again, we could go into a whole separate show about this, the culture of Twitter. And I'm somebody, I'm somebody that knows firsthand. I've had people tell, I've had people tell me to, to kill myself because my opinion on Gamecock football. I mean, it's, it's absurd. <laughs> but yeah. the maniacs think they're the majority. And like you said, the eggs are not the majority. That's just not the way it is. But if you're not accustomed to that, and you see people coming at you. Doesn't matter if they have zero followers or a hundred thousand. Some people, you know, if you're not used to it, you're, you're you don't know how to react. So, but I Correct. agree with you. Both sides, take a deep breath. Hey, last week was emotional as hell. I mean, every single day was just crazy. Take a deep breath, reevaluate it. I do expect Javon Kinlaw will put out an apology at some point because, I mean, God, I would think the university is going to be in touch with him in some capacity and say, Hey, man, this isn't really a good look for us. Like. Let's let's both parties come together against sing kumbaya and be done with it. Um, but I, I I agree. I think that was very well said, man. I think I think you put it put it very well. So I mean, even if even if he doesn't, even if he thinks apology, that, please. don't say it out loud, right? Well, I mean, it, he did. It's over. It's done. right, right, right. You right, know, if he right. doesn't, if he doesn't like formally apologize, I think it's I think it's up to us as fans to say, you know what, it was an emotional time. Let right. it go. You left right, the right. you, you 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 bled for this university. Yeah. I think fans should You're let it go. I agree with you. I think fans should yeah, let it go either way. Go. If he, hey, if he feels that way, it is what it is. Doesn't have to come back. But don't Correct. boo it. Don't don't boo when it when his pictures on the scoreboard. That's that's yeah. Don't that's 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 we much. Don't, we don't yeah, need to be doing that's that. Much. That's much. Okay. Uh, you know, that's akin to blaming FSU for your COVID troubles. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, we Dabo has made an ass clown of himself. That is for sure. <laughs> Um, anyways, on a more positive note, the coaching search rages on Alex. Um, nothing crazy to update. Obviously, you know, I was talking to you over the weekend about, uh, and I said this on the show Monday and I think basically everybody knows this at this point, but uh, there was a meeting Saturday, two o'clock zoom meeting with a bunch of former players, Letterman, what have you with Ray Tanner getting feedback as far as what they're looking for. And there were different names thrown around. And I can tell you the names that were thrown out to me were Billy Napier, Shane Beamer, Deuce Staley, which kind of surprised me. Uh, Chris Rumpf, a guy who has South Carolina ties. Those were the main ones my guy told me they talked about. And he also said that Ray Tanner stressed and emphasized that it's going to be an offensive head football coach. I know we were laughing off air because as we went live, Twitter and social media is going nuts because there's somebody out there that's spreading a rumor that Jeff Munkin will get the job. And I can assure you that is not going to happen. And if it does, Williams Bryce might burn to the ground, but it could not going to happen, but uh, I guess I just wanted to gauge where you are as far as the coaching search. Again, if I had to put good money on it, I say it's either going to be Billy Napier or Shane Beamer. And again, if I had to put more money on it, I don't know. I'm just I'm leaning Shane Beamer that I think will probably be the next head football coach. It sounds like, by the way, they want a decision, an announcement made by December the 10th. So if you're looking for a target date, I'm thinking at the week after the week following the final game, the week following the Kentucky game. And that doesn't mean that decision might not be finalized behind closed doors. I think that's just when they will make an official announcement. Um, because it sounds like from what my guy told me, 
Ray Tanner has already talked to six coaches. It says it sounds like they said they plan on talking to four more coaches this week. So, you know, that process rages on. I, I just want to get your get get a temperature check with you how you're feeling right now as we go through this uh, this coaching search. Well, I, I think I think it's fair to say. Jeff Monken is an offensively minded coach, just right, not right, right. the direction. Not the offense we, we want to go, go with. with. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I know I've told you, but uh, so uh, Coach Beamer was our special teams coach and recruiting coordinator um, while I was playing. And I'm personally all in the tank uh, for Shane at this point. I think being around him for those two years – just, just everything about him, like he, he is a tireless recruiter. He is somebody who is going to be really, really good in the living rooms across the Southeast. Yeah. And two, I think he's just the kind of guy that you would want leading a program. I think he would be an outstanding spokesman for the university going forward. And I think from a, from a positive standpoint, you know, I know that at least, at least on the message boards that I've seen, there's been a lot of criticism that, He's never been a coordinator anywhere. He's only coached like running backs and tight ends, yeah. yada, yada, yada. And, you know, I think there, the positive aspect of that is I think he can really come in and be a big picture guy, mm-hmm. somebody that focuses solely on organization. What are we doing? How are we getting guys a in? A CEO type, right? Correct. Yeah. It could be a very, very good CEO where he is going to farm out what the defense is doing and what the offense is doing. And that's, he's not going to be as involved with it as, you know, maybe Spurrier was at least at first and certainly not to the degree that Muschamp was on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that's really, I think depending on who you can get to come in as coordinators, you know, especially if you can poach some guys from Oklahoma to come in here and do this or his time up at Virginia tech, I think that is a huge, huge positive because, you know, when we were talking, you know, I look at somebody like, uh, Deuce Staley or Chris Rump, who are, you know, the, by all metrics would be outstanding coaches. I think the hidden element coming down from an NFL position to take the college job is the recruiting aspect. Yeah. And that is a, that is, if you've never done that before, I think that could be a very, very challenging position to be put in. Well, that's to, why a lot of know, guys go the, to the NFL, right? They don't want to recruit. They don't want to have correct. to do that, right? That's a big correct. part of I mean, if you can't recruit, you can't be a college football coach. Or if you can't employ a staff around you that recruits, if nothing else, you, you can't you can't win in college football. You just can't do it. Correct. Correct. So. And I think that is ultimately why I think, you know, Beamer is the best choice for us. It's it, you know, it's a it's a university he's familiar with. He's been here. He knows how to recruit in our situation. And what that needs to look like. And I think depending on who he could bring in as coordinators, I think that's – I think personally, I think that's the direction we should go yeah. in. Now, am I going to be, like, upset if we hire Billy Navy or Jamie Chadwell or Q, baby? Uh, no, not at all. I think, you know, I think the floor in the 2020 coaching search versus the 2020, 2015 coaching search is infinitely higher. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't think we're – I don't think we're going to be put in a bad spot by the direction – but for whatever it's worth, you know, if if I was going to be making the decision, my decision my decision would be Beamer, and it wouldn't be a difficult one. Yeah, I mean, the floor being higher, that's kind of the point I've made the entire time. And listen, I, I've said this too. No matter who you hire, 
there are pros and cons with every guy. It's not like a Spurrier in 05 where, I mean, it's just like a slam. Like, it's a no-brainer, right? Like, there's, there's going to be people that dislike the hire no matter who you hire. And, you know, I, I saw a stat. I, I want to point this out to you, uh, Alex. I don't have the actual stats pulled up in front of me, but it was my good buddy Brad Crawford put up a stat about the lack of success and the challenges that first-year or first-time head coaches have had in the SEC since 2000 pointing out the records and just pointing out their shortcomings and why they haven't been successful and all that stuff. My thought process in that is this, who gives a damn? Because guess what? Statistically, South Carolina will never win the SEC. Statistically, South Carolina will never win a national title. So in the end of the day, who gives a damn about the stats? My thought process on it is this. And again, I said the vetting process, the interview process is so important. If you sit down with Shane Beamer and you feel like he's the guy, I don't give a damn what the stats say. Roll with it. Roll the dice. Like you said, I, I do believe the floor is infinitely higher this time around than it was in 15. And, I mean, like I said, there's going to be pros and cons to everybody. Hey, Hugh Freeze, guess what? He might leave in two years and take a Tennessee or an Auburn job. He might put South Carolina in the same position at Ole Miss. Billy Napier's never been a head coach in the SEC. Again, th- there's a risk no matter who you hire. So, if you truly feel like Shane Beamer's the guy, and, again, you see the guys he's getting the vote of confidence from. Melvin Ingram, Steven Garcia. Patrick Fish, Pat DeMarco, basically probably everybody that was there when he was there or definitely who recruited him, they're going to vouch for Shane Beamer. And, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's not like these are just average Joes out here. These are Gamecock legends that want him right. to get the job. Hey, what do you think yeah. Connor Shaw thinks? I wonder, right? Like, I wonder what he thinks. Um, well, politically so, speaking, he's probably not in the right place to sit voice that. No, no, but I'm just <laughs> but, saying, like, you know, he you probably know, goes I, home and talks to the wife and he, and he's got probably a close circle where he's like, well, yeah, I'd like to see Shane get it. I mean, you know, I'm sure he has an opinion or something, so yeah. it'll be very interesting. And listen, I understand people's, you know, if, if people are hesitant about the Beamer hire, like I understand people's concerns. I'm not going to say somebody's stupid or that they're, you know, they're not valid in their concerns because, Hey, he's never, he's never been a coordinator, like a big time. He's never been a head coach. I know a lot of people point back to it. And I'll ask you this question. What's your response when people say, well, why hasn't he been a head coach at this point yet? Like, what does that say about him that he's, he still hasn't been one. He's been a, he's been a coordinator or he's been a, in the position he's been forever. Like, do you think it's just a situation where he's just been waiting for the right opportunity to jump or cause he's worked under some fantastic head coaches. That's for damn sure. So that's it. That, okay. So I think there's two sides to that question because I saw, I saw something pop up where somebody said, you know, if you, if you changed his last name, would he even be a candidate? And if, it's just incredibly stupid premise that I'm not going to give <laughs> oxygen to, but the point being like it, that may actually have been what has hindered him mm-hmm. to this point too, that, you know, somebody doesn't want to just give a job to Shane Beamer because of who his dad was. Right. Or is not going to give him that opportunity just, to, just so there's not like a seed of nepotism floating around out there. I think on why he may have never gotten – and we don't know. I mean, he could have been offered, you know, all kinds of different lower-level jobs. Or not – I don't – lower level is probably not the right word. Like group of five jobs or like Division One AA jobs. And it wasn't something that he wanted to do. Right. Right? And so it may have just – it may just honestly be a, a situation where – the right opportunity he would certainly leave to be a head coach but that opportunity of where he would want to do that hasn't come out and it's like well you know if i can be at assistant head coach at 
Oklahoma, which is a blue bug program that's, you know, mm-hmm. going to the playoff every year and make half a million bucks a year. That sounds pretty good. And so, you know, maybe that's just kind of where he's been. And he gets something like this that pops open at the right time. And he's like, you know what? That is a job I would really, really like to have. Let me tell you why I should have it. You, and you, make, a, you make a great point, by the way, Alex, is that Shane Beamer has never been a candidate on the short list or he's never been a, a hot name candidate. Doesn't mean he's never been a candidate for a job before. Like, it could Correct. have happened behind the scenes where he got offered or maybe they asked to interview and he's like, no, nah, I'm fine where I'm at. So yeah. we're just assuming he's never gotten an opportunity to be a head coach. That's a good Correct. point. That's a good point. Well, it's just, I mean, it's just, I mean, the, the retorts I've seen on this where he's never been a head coach, he's never been a coordinator. Like, okay, well, Will Muschamp has been a head coach and a coordinator. <laughs> How'd that go? What difference does it make? <laughs> Who gives Derek it? Dooley has been a head coach and a coordinator. Yeah. How did that go? Yeah. Butch Jones I, has been a head coach yeah. and a coordinator. Like, there's no recipe of success to it. Like, the recipe of success to be, like, a good head coach in college football is you've got to be – an otherworldly recruiter. You got to have really good connections to replace staff members, mm-hmm. and you got to know how to organize everything. Shane knows how to do all those things, for sure. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Man, like, yeah, it's, it's like going to be, be an offensive genius. Yeah, I was just going to say it's going to be, be, be a really interesting like, next two weeks, like a Lincoln That's... Riley. Yeah, yeah, or somebody like that. Where yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be sitting there calling plays, and you know you're at Oklahoma. That works because you've got a recruiting advantage, and you've got all this money sitting behind you, and you're gonna go get the best of everything from a coordinator standpoint to a staff standpoint. That works fine. Where it, the wheels kind of come off a little bit is, you know, if you're not in that situation where you have that huge backing, then what do you do? And that's where I think that those skill sets. And those intangibles that he has play well for us. Hey, man, all aboard the Shane train. <laughs> all hey, aboard hey, look, the Shane I, I, train. I mean, uh, assuming Urban is unavailable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, we're all aboard the Shane. We're still train. waiting to get word on if Urban is is has looked at that blank check we sent him in the mail or not. Uh, <laughs> I, I heard it was a Brinks truck. We just drove yeah, to his front door it. full of cash. <laughs> that's it for sure. Well, before I get you out here, Alex, we, we got a game this weekend. Um, the Georgia Bulldogs come to town, and every time South Carolina plays Georgia, you know, the, the line opened up. You're a 19-point underdog. But you think of last year, you were a 24-and-a-half point underdog, and you somehow found a way to beat the dogs on the road. Georgia's been a very interesting team up and down, but besides talking X's and O's, because, again, we all know the challenge it presents, and South Carolina probably going to be starting a true freshman quarterback against the dog. So we know it's going to be a challenge, but I more so want to get from you, from your side of things, again, from the player side, you went toe-to-toe with Georgia. You guys beat Georgia in 2007 at their place. We all know how crazy their fans are. And, you know, people say for the Carolina-Clemson game, because this is actually supposed to be rivalry week if the schedule was normal. But people say for that game, you know, throw the records out the window, right? It doesn't matter what the records are. When these two teams meet, anything can happen. That is so true, I feel like, for South Carolina, Georgia. Like, there's so much familiarity between the rosters. You have, you know, South Carolina's always had so many Georgia guys on the roster, and Georgia has their South Carolina guys, and you got guys that played against each other in high school or played with each other. Um, Just talk about your experience in the South Carolina Georgia rivalry, what do you remember most? Because I mean, you obviously played under a head coach that hated the Georgia Bulldogs. He hated them with a fiery passion. He did not care for them. No. <laughs> um, 
it was it, i mean at the end of the day like that was always the joy it's just the, it's it's the biggest sec game we play every year i mean it's it's awesome to play florida tennessee those guys but georgia just from a proximity standpoint was always the the best sec east game or from a rivalry standpoint and just like we really 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 want to win this one um so i mean from an experience i, I got a funny story on georgia so oh six uh when we played them at home we lost 18 to zero mm. which was fun um and spurrier came in monday whiteboards completely clear we're all sitting in the team meeting room and he like he wrote on the board he was he wrote like uh family of four four tickets uh concessions the line item number there and a couple other things underneath it and totaled it up and he like finished he turned around and he was like see this number this is what you guys cost everybody that came to that game that watched you lose 18 to nothing. And so like, you know, those, I mean, it's just, it's Georgia week and it's a game you want to win. And, you know, from an experience standpoint, you know, playing between the hedges is awesome. I mean, it's a raucous environment. You know, when we played them at home in 2008, they were ranked number one and we ended up losing by a touchdown. That was an awesome environment. It's, it's just a, it's a fun week and it's a game you want to win. It's a game we can win. I mean, Georgia has been Jekyll and Hyde all year, although it mm-hmm. seems as though the uh, new quarterback they inserted yeah. is a little bit better. So we'll see, <laughs> we'll see what happens. No. Yeah, for sure. It's funny story too, about Oh six. You know, I, I was at that 18 to zero game and me and my grandfather went to that one. We scalped tickets. We actually paid 180 bucks. So just to, mm. just well, to, uh, that statistic on the board, yeah, just, just yes. to put that statistic on the whiteboard. That was a, <laughs> $180 and about 20 bucks for Bojangles. So there you go. <laughs> yep. That's what we that's personally what the, cost you $200. That's what the 06 Gamecocks cost, uh, cost the Phillips family that <laughs> night at Williams Bryce. But uh, no, no, good, good stuff, man. Well, hey, man, Alex, always a pleasure, man. We'll definitely do it again next week. So uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. Hopefully, maybe after a big Gamecocks upset. You never know. Appreciate it, man. Just progression, if nothing that's else. That's it. Let's just hey, see some progression. Excitement with number four behind center. You never know. Kaboom. For sure. He's Alex McGrath. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll catch you next time on the episode of the Spurs Up Show. you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.